Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. John chapter number 13 records this. And Simon Peter said unto him, verse 36, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, will you? Really, Peter? Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the the cock shall not crow, until thou hast denied me thrice. Flipping over to Luke chapter 22, it'll be on the screen there if you're not quick in your Bible. And verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison Oh, and and in to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast denied thrice that thou knowest me. If you look at this particular passage of scripture, it's recorded, this story is recorded in every single one of the gospels. Everybody hung Peter out to dry. (laughs) Thanks, friends. But Matthew and Mark are a little kinder than the two that we read because Matthew and Mark say that all the disciples said, yeah, what he said, we're ready to go with you to prison and to death also. So for a few moments, I'd like to preach in your hearing You can't follow me yet. You can't follow me yet. Can we pray specifically for the preached word, Lord? We thank you that you have inspired, preserved, and kept your word for us. We understand that the story we read here tonight is not just a fable, God, but that Peter actually said, I'm ready to go and die with you. And you actually spoke to him and said, you can't follow me yet, Peter. I pray that you'd help us anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our actions to do this preached word. We'll be quick to give you praise and glory and honor. And everyone says, amen. You may be seated. The sum of Christianity is found in two words, follow me. Jesus is forever walking around telling people, follow me. By the sea, follow me. 
through the market. Follow me. Wherever Jesus is going, he's always extending an invitation. And it's in Matthew 4 that we find Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. And he says to Simon and Andrew, follow me. Put, put down your nets. They were fishermen by trade. Of course, we know that from times in Sunday school and through our own personal reading of the scripture. But Jesus says, follow me. And I don't know why. But they did. I don't understand the logic. There probably was not much logic in follow me. Because, I mean, we get it now, like 2,000 years later, Christ resurrected. We, we see the fruits and all, the, all this stuff. But, I mean, two fishermen walk up to a carpenter, a carpenter walks up to two fishermen, and he says, hey, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. What does a carpenter know about fishing? What, what does Jesus know about making people fishers of men? So it's really not very logical that, that Peter says, oh, okay, I'll go do that. But the carpenter told the fishermen to launch out into the deep and cast your net on the other side, and, and he did. And so it defies logic, but there's the proof, the fish. If he can do this with fish, what can he do with men? And so Peter drops everything and he follows. And uh, it doesn't make sense now that in our text, after years of hearing follow me, that we get, ah, you can't follow me now. You, you, you can't follow me. Peter and John had just worked to make a supper happen, the last supper as we know it. They went and made the preparations and Feet had been washed. It's a good practice to wash each other's feet. The Last Supper had been consumed. It's a good practice. Have communion. There had been a betrayal, though, too. And likely they're on their way to a three-hour prayer meeting where the disciples do like some of us and fall asleep. And Peter says, I, I, I can follow you to death. And Jesus is like, really? Really, Peter, you can, you can follow. You're not even before this day is up. How many parents have ever said that? Before this day is up, I promise you. I feel like that's what Jesus is saying here. Before this day is up, Simon, Satan desired to have you so he could sift you as wheat. And it wasn't just Simon. It was Simon, Simon. <laughs> it, or maybe it was like, ah, Simon, Simon. You, everybody's got those people that it's like they're just an automatic headache when they walk into the room. I'm excited when Jesus walks into the room, but when some people walk into the room, they get the double name and it's like, Corbett, Corbett. And it's like, Simon, Simon, you really don't get this. Satan wants to have you. Of course it's Peter. It's foot and mouth Peter that says, 
Uh, I'll go with you all the way to death. And it's like, no, you won't even acknowledge that you know me. But it kind of makes sense when you start thinking about it. It kind of makes sense that it is Peter. Because Peter's hands had taken the fragments of bread and walked it over to companies of 50 and broke it and gave it to them. And Peter's hands had walked over to another company of 50 and broke and gave. And he took it from Jesus and he broke and he gave. And he took it from Jesus and he broke and he gave until 5,000 people had eaten and were full. And they had been fasting a little while too. They, hey, how many of you remember that first meal back? Like it was yesterday, right? Yeah. And so it makes sense that it was Peter because he had gathered the fragments back up from those. And it makes sense that it was Peter because he heard Jesus say, this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. And it makes sense that it was Peter because he had heard Jesus' voice say, peace, be still. And he had seen the waves miraculously go calm. It makes sense that it was Peter because when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? It was Pete, foot and mouth Peter that spoke up and said, uh, you're the Christ. It makes sense that it is Peter because Jesus looked at Peter and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father, which is in heaven and upon this rock, I will build my church. And you, Peter, are going to get the geese to the gates of hell and the grave. It makes sense that it is Peter that opens his mouth and says, I will follow you all the way to death. It makes sense that it is Peter because he's the one that's always in the middle of everything. It makes sense that it's Peter because he walked up on a mountain and he said, oh, look, here are three tabernacles. Here, here's, here's Jesus. Let's build three tabernacles. Here's Jesus and Elijah and Moses. He is the Peter. It's like James and John didn't even get to trump Peter. It was Peter, James, and John. He is the Peter. I mean, he is the... He, so it makes sense that it is Peter that opens his mouth and all the other disciples. Oh yeah, what Peter said. But he was not ready to follow Jesus. Why was he not ready to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus answered it for us because Satan desired to have Peter. Satan desired to silence Peter's voice. Satan sought to keep Peter from standing on a day shortly after uh, 50 or so days after a resurrection. It was Satan who was trying to, to condemn Peter and make him not be able to stand uh, after a dream. It, it, was, it was Satan who was fighting Peter. It's Satan who is fighting you. It's Satan who is trying to silence your voice. It's Satan who's trying to take you and sift you as wheat so that you feel like you don't have any faith left. Let's talk about that word sift. Sifting. What is it? This is an agricultural society, sifting. So they would take the seed that was harvested and they would put it in a little uh, uh, place where they would run a stone over it. 
And the stone would serve to to crush the seed, but the stone also crushed the chaff off of the seed. See, there's there's two parts there. There's chaff and there's seed. And and the chaff is inedible, unless you're an animal, which none of us are in this place. And so the the chaff is inedible and it it protects the seed and it keeps things from, from getting into the seed. But it also prevents the seed from growing. And so this process of sifting is paramount for Peter. Because in order for that seed to become usable, it's got to go through this sifting process. Oh, hear me tonight. Hear this tonight. In order for our seed to become usable, in order for our lives to become usable, it's got to go through a sifting process process. It's got to go through some trouble. It's got to go through some hardship. It's got to go through some pain and some loss. Why? Because if we don't do that, then what we have is a protecting thing from the seed. Because if we don't go through the process that God is allowing us to go through, then we cannot grow when we're planted. Because we cannot become usable for nutrition. Because we cannot be used of God without that process. But when we go through the process, when we go through the process, I'm here to tell you that when you go through the process and you come out on the other side, your life is something that God can use. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you fear no evil because you understand that God is with you, your life can become something that God can use. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you fear no evil, God can use you. You might not understand why you had to go through the heartache, but it was a sifting process. You might not understand why you had to go through the moment and the season of isolation, but it was a sifting process. You might not understand why you had to walk through that dark time of life, why you had to experience that betrayal and that heartache, but I'm here to tell you that it is a sifting season and it is for the good of them that love God and it is his purpose in your life. God, I don't understand why I have to do this. It's just a sifting process. God, I don't understand why I need to walk through this time, but it's just a sifting process. Because when you come out of a refiner's fire, you are pure. When you come out on the other side, your testimony is rich. When you come out on the other side of the sifting process, it is something what only he can get glory for. It is something that only he can get glory for. I started praying a dangerous prayer at one point in my life, and I said, God, I need you to get glory. And you know what that means? That means that I have to go through some things that I cannot keep the bottom. I can't keep my feet on the bottom, and I get carried away because I've got to trust in God. And when I prayed that prayer, I started losing control. And when I started losing control, hurt and pain started setting in. And when hurt and pain started setting 
getting in, I had to say, God, it's in you that I trust. God, it's in you that I live. God, it's in you that I move. It is in you that I have my being. But the process is not easy. I don't really understand agriculture. I understand the, the, the text here, and I understand the process because I've studied it. But let me tell you something that I've experienced. My beautiful wife sitting over there about B11 makes macaroons. Whew. You can go to the macaroon bar and buy macaroons. They're not as good as hers. And you can name a flavor and she can make them. I'm like, I want German chocolate cake. She's like, okay. I want strawberry lemonade. Boom. Part of the process of, of uh, making macaroons is once you get the recipe, you bow, slam it down. And I'm like, Wah. I'm reading, doing homework, and that thing hits, and I'm like, Ugh. scares the fire out of me. But I tell you what it does. It reminds me that there is something sweet coming. There is something that in the end is going to be beautiful. And it is going to taste marvelous. But there is this little thing that she has to do. She's got to take that confectioner sugar or that, that powdered sugar, and she's got to pour it into a sift. A sifter. And she's, she's got one of those old ones, and every time I break it out, she's like, now, you better be careful because they don't make them like that anymore. It's, a, it's like a, I look at it, it looks like it's from 1954. This doesn't mean anything to me. But it's got one of those metal handles you hold on this side and then basically just two pieces of wire connected and you just go like this. And those two pieces of wire sift that powdered sugar and they force that powdered sugar through the metal mesh. And it creates this beautiful, fine, consistent flour or uh, sugar. You can do it with flour too, but... And at the end, there might be some, some clumps. There might be some big pieces that, that need to be really worked through the mesh. And I asked her when, when writing this message, I said, babe, why do you, why do you sift the flour, the, the sugar, whatever it is you're baking? And she said, because it just makes it all the same consistency and it just makes it easy to use. And then she hit me with it. And I said, thank you, Jesus and my wife. She said, if you don't sift the flour or the, the confectioner sugar when you're baking, the final product is inconsistent. The final product will not be what it is meant to be. And it will not look as good as it was intended to look. And it will not taste quite as good as it was intended to taste because it didn't go through the process. So if you're in this place tonight and you're walking through the process, stay strong. If you're in this place and you feel like God is shaking every single thing in your life, 
hold to God's unchanging hand. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you are in fear of evil, just don't fear it. Reach up and take the hand of Jesus Christ and say, God, it's in you that I put my trust. It's in you that I live and move and have my being. I don't understand it, God, but I trust in you. Because it's the process that makes the product consistent. And until we get that in our brains, we will try and shortchange the process. Anybody tried to shortcut a process before? I, I, I have several times tried to shortcut the process and it never turns out good. It didn't turn out good for Moses. Moses had this... Uh, desire, this, this heartbeat to save Israel long before he ever met a burning bush, which is a whole nother story. Long before he ever heard God say, I am. He was trying to save Israel because he was out running errands, I guess. I don't know what he was doing, but he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And when he saw that, something rose up in him and he jumped the Egyptian and he beat him to death. That's a fierce passion, right? I've been angry, but never that angry. And God's call on Moses' life was still there, but he had to go through a process so that he could redeem Israel, not with his own hands, but by his hand. And when Moses stood before Pharaoh, it was nothing of his own accord that he did. He, he, yeah, he dropped a stick and it turned into a snake and he said this and that happened. And, and, but it was nothing that he could have possibly done. And the only way he was able to do that was through the process. Peter experienced the exact same thing. Peter, after saying, Lord, I, I'm not gonna deny you. They've prayed. Peter's had a nap. Some people are smiling. It's okay. It's okay to nap during prayer meeting. I'm sorry, Pastor. Rest. Yeah, these things happen. Rest in the Lord, right? I'm going to go worship at St. Mattress of the Springs. Lay before the Lord. Some of, some of you will be laughing on the way home about that one. Oh, Springs, I get it. But Peter is passionate. When Judas leads the whole crew up and they're like, uh, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, here I am. What does Peter do? He takes out a sword. And he's worried about protecting Jesus. And he swings at Malchus's skull. Thankfully, Malchus was quick and he dodged. Just caught him on the ear. Jesus said, Malchus, have a good new ear. Some of you will wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, I get it, new ear. 
I've become a dad because those are the jokes I tell now. <laughs> but Peter is just passionate. And he's trying to follow Jesus on his own accord. He's trying to protect Jesus. Like Jesus needs protecting. And he is following Jesus. Watch it. The Gospels are very clear. He follows Jesus from afar. He's trying to do exactly what Jesus said he would not be able to do. And in so doing, he actually self-fulfills the prophecy that Jesus put on him. You're going to deny me three times. And he denies him. And in Luke 22, chapter, uh, chapter 22, verse 61, we catch Jesus catching Peter's eyes. Oh, what, a, what a blow to have the man that you just said, I'll follow you until the death. Look at you and catch you, not in your strength, not in your grandeur, not in your glory, but in your failure and in your weakest moment to see Jesus catch his gaze. Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. And in John 21, we see Peter tell the other disciples, I'm, I'm going fishing, guys. Illogical as it was for him to follow Jesus, it was equally illogical for him to be like, he's dead. He said his kingdom was coming. We were excited about it. And now he's, I don't, how is this going to play out? He's swimming. He's, he's swirling. He can't quite wrap his brain around. He says, I go a fishing. And then we see Jesus come back. And he's, on the shore. On the shore. The same place he was when he called Peter the first time. On the shore. And we see Peter coming in and Jesus says, let, let down your net on the other side. And there's a huge drought of fish that come in and Peter realizes, whoa, this is Jesus. He jumps off of the boat and swims to shore. And there's Jesus warming some fish up by a fire of coals. Now watch this. Where was Peter when he denied Jesus? Standing by a fire of coals. Where was Peter when Jesus called him for the very first time? out on a ship. John does us a great benefit when he plays this out for us because we're about to see that Peter is experiencing an initial calling type thing. It's, it's almost like he says, oh, I, I recognize what's going on here. I, I see the similarities between this call and that call, but I've still got this you can't follow me yet thing happening in my brain, and I've still got this I denied him thing happening in my brain, and I've still got this process thing that says it happens in my brain, and I can't get it out, and I don't know what's happening. And Jesus says, Simon, do you, do you love me? 
Simon says, you know I love you, Jesus. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? I get, I get Simon here kind of like, Jesus, Jesus, you know I love you. Simon, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. And for every single denial, Peter is offered a chance of affirmation. The forgiveness has already happened. Jesus has already issued forgiveness. He went, Peter went out and wept bitterly, but he's giving him an opportunity to publicly declare what he publicly renounced, okay? Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to say, you know I love you, Jesus. Affirmed. I'm inside of Peter's brain as if it were my own. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I got to tell him once. But can I tell him again? And as I'm thinking, can I tell him again? Jesus looks at me and says, Chris, do you love me? And I'm able to say, yes, God. I love you, and the math is starting to happen in my brain, and I'm starting to put, I was by a fire of coals, and he was on the shore, and I'm putting it all together, and I'm like, one more time, one more time. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And I'm like, yes, I love you, Jesus. And then Jesus offers this in John 21. Follow me. After Peter has said, I love you, Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. And while Peter could not for a season because of the sifting that needed to take place, follow Jesus, Jesus is standing with an extended invitation, just like what happened the very first time he met him and he's saying, follow me. And I'm here to offer to Calvary Tabernacle tonight. Do you want to follow Jesus yet? Do you want to follow Jesus? I get it. Life has dealt you some bad things. I get it. You've had to walk through some hardship. I get it. You've had to turn your back on some friends, but I'm asking you, do you want to follow Jesus? Because he's standing here and he's offering to you, follow me. And there was a time that you thought you weren't going to be able to follow him. There was a time when you thought that the weight was too heavy. There was a time when you couldn't put one foot in front of the other. But all you did was said, I am following after Jesus. I know that he said that I wouldn't be able to do it, but I'm trying to have faith here. I'm trying to make a move here. I'm trying to show you, God, that I love you. And Jesus is saying, all right, let's go. All right, Peter. Come on, buddy, you can do it. And I'm reminded of pastor's sermon last week when all they did was march around the walls of Jericho. But when that shout went forth, they were able to take the city. And I'm here to say that the shout of Jesus tonight is follow me. I'm here to say that the shout of Jesus Christ tonight is follow me. I'm here to declare that you've been walking through the process and Jesus is saying follow me. I'm here to say that you've had some hard times, but God says, follow me. I'm here to say that you've had some heartache and some trial, but God is saying, follow me. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In the presence of mine enemies, you prepare a table before me. The cry of Jesus Christ tonight is follow me. Follow me, Peter. Why? Why? Because, Peter, you still have a Pentecost to preach. Because, Peter, there's still going to be a prayer meeting where you don't fall asleep and you fall into a trance. And I let down a sheep's net and there's unclean things on there. And you've got to make up in your mind, okay, this isn't just about a Jewish thing. This, this isn't just about a us four and no more thing, but this is about an everybody thing. You've got to follow Jesus tonight because this isn't just a Calvary tabernacle thing. This isn't just a United Pentecostal Church international thing. There is coming a revival in this city and in the state of Indiana and in the Midwest where a great company of hosts a great company of priests are going to turn to the Lord. He's going to need our help. He's going to need us, Brother Alberto, to partner with him. He's going to need us to step out and say, this is the word of the Lord. It's happening all over. I was sitting at lunch today. And in Arkansas, a Baptist preacher is talking about baptism in Jesus' name. Not just talking about it, preaching it from his platform. He's talking about baptism in Jesus' name. He's talking about the mighty God in Christ. He's talking about infilling of the Holy Ghost. In Arkansas, in the last six months, Listen, I want for the homeless people, please don't misunderstand. I want the homeless people and I want the broken and I want the destitute, but not more than I want the preacher down the street who is still trying to figure out this Jesus thing. I want him to have the Holy Ghost too. I want a great company of priests. I want, I want a great host from this earth to be saved and caught up into glory. So while I'm thankful for everything that we're doing, I'm also thankful for everything that we're doing. Well, that doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. Because there was a pastor that walked in. I hadn't talked to you about this. I'm just going to say there was a pastor that walked into your office and he said, what? The city is yours. Now, the city doesn't belong to, to Pastor Carson. But Calvary Tabernacle and Pastor Carson have partnered with the one who is saying, follow me. And when it's not about us, it can be about him. And when it's not about our platform, it can be about his platform. And when it's not about our church, it can be about his church. So I'm asking you, do you want to follow him? Do you want to follow him? Because there is still work to do. Satan should have done something while Peter was down and out, but he couldn't. 
You know why he couldn't? Because Jesus prayed for Peter. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Because you've been down and you've been out and you've been through the sifting process. And if Satan could have killed you, he would have. But he couldn't. Because Christ prays for us. Because we pray for each other. If, if you would have been dead, then you couldn't have the work in front of you. Listen, there is still a Pentecost for you to preach. You thought when you swung that sword at Malchus's ear that you had gone too far, but there is still a Pentecost for you to preach. There is still a time where you've got to stand up and say, this same Jesus whom you've been fighting all your life is resurrected and he is both Lord and Christ. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If Satan could have killed you, he would have, but he couldn't because there is still a Cornelius's house for you to go preach to. Hey, if Satan could have killed you, he would have, but he couldn't because there are still letters that you need to write. There are still songs that you need to author. There are still sermons that you need to preach. There are still churches that you need to plant. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ and him crucified has prayed for you. There were times, there were times where I wish I was dead, but God wouldn't let me. You know why God wouldn't let me die? Because there are still things for us to do, baby. There are still things that we have in ministry. Our greater days are in front of us. They are not behind us. Your greater days are in front of you. They are not behind you. So get up, get up and follow Jesus because he gave you a reason to dance. Get up because he's prayed for you. Get, get over your pity party. Get out. Oh, listen. Oh, poor me. Nobody loves me. Might as well go eat worms and die. That is not who God's praying for. God is praying for a nation that will march around the walls seven times on the seventh day that will remain silent when they need to remain silent, when all logic makes no sense. And then when the trumpet blasts, when the time is right, when the appointed time has come, you're following Jesus in silence right now. My God. Somebody has been following Jesus in silence and you've just been marching and you feel like nobody knows where you're at and you feel like nobody knows your name and you feel like you've got a call, but you're just marching and you're coming to church every Sunday and you're coming to church every Sunday night and you're at every prayer meeting and you're at every Wednesday service. But when the time comes to preach a Sunday night, they forget about your name. God has an appointed 
time. And the beauty of it is that when God has an appointed time, there's no man, there's no devil, there's no circumstance, there's no thing that when you in obedience step out in faith, When you in obedience step out in faith at God's appointed time, there is nothing, nothing that can stop you. Forgive the personal illustration. You saw me close. This is, I'm operating at a different place now than, than the notes. I'm gonna share my heart. I'm gonna share just a transparent moment here with Chris. Everybody stand so I know I'm closing. I had a very specific moment with God. And he told me what I was supposed to do. And it didn't make sense. So I did what every God-fearing Christians should do. Hey, pastor, got time to go to Cracker Barrel? Because Cracker Barrel's where all good meetings happen, and the church said amen. Those of you who don't like Cracker Barrel, it's okay. I think you can still go to heaven. (laughs) The only place better than Cracker Barrel for meetings is Chick-fil-A, and you just don't get to sit there quite as long. So Cracker Barrel is superior. But in that meeting a couple Januarys ago, I said, I feel like this is what God has for me. And you pumped the brakes. I said, I feel like, I feel like a, a doctorate program is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you said, I don't feel that for you right now. Just like that. And I was like, well, I was gonna follow him to death. Really, Chris? And for the next three months, personally, I said, God, either I misheard or you hadn't talked to pastor yet. (laughs) And the way it came out, the way it all shook out was way better. A year and a half in, I'm like, Oh God, you are so cool. You're you're way cooler than I thought you were, God. But it took me going through the process. That's one little example in my life. That's one little moment in my life and no doubt all across this place, you've had moments. No doubt you've said, Hey, pastor. And the offer stands. It doesn't matter what denial you've made. Christ says, will you follow me? It doesn't matter what sword you have swung. Christ is offering. Will you follow me? It doesn't matter what circumstance you've 
seeing Jesus look in on you, he's saying, do you love me? And so my question as an invitation to an altar call is just that. Are you willing to get up out of your self-pity, out of your grave, out of those grave clothes and say, I will follow you, God, because you made me new, because there is still work to do. There is still places for you to preach. There are still moments that you need to have on your job where you say, I know a guy who can fix all that trouble that you're experiencing. There's still a dream that lives inside of you that you've got to step out and go to Cornelius's house. There's still a Jerusalem council for you. There's still a moment of leadership for you. You thought that you went too far, but God is saying, will you follow me? God is saying, will you take up your cross and will you follow me? The answer is beautiful because you get to answer. I'll say yes, God. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. As for the Henderson house, we are gonna serve the Lord. As for my section sitting over there, every time we join in corporate worship, I'm gonna say, I'm here to hear you sing, Chris McGrath. I'm here to join my voice with your voice to the only one who's worthy of all praise and glory and honor. So will you follow him? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have life. 